I have friends that literally will not work for certain healthcare systems, not because of the healthcare system, but it's because of their EMR or because of their workflow. Because they tell me, hey, Harvey, if I work at Hospital X, they have this antiquated electronic medical record and it takes me forever to see a patient. If I work over at that other hospital, they have this newer one and I'd rather work there. So something as simple as having the right tool will determine where we want to work. Have you ever wished you had a healthcare provider on speed dial? Someone you could call to validate your product market fit. Someone to listen and help you see your solution differently. Welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix, a podcast to help you see your market clearly. We dive deep into the challenges faced by healthcare organization leaders that technology has the chance to help them solve. It's all about gaining the kind of understanding you need to effectively connect with your market. Join us as we explore the healthcare market matrix. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix. I'm John Farkas, your fearless host, and I need some of that fearlessness today because joining us uh, in the studio is Dr. Harvey Castro. And I'm just going to tell you, that we could spend um, our entire podcast this morning just going over uh, Harvey's backdrop, which is extremely energetic. I mean, there's there's definitely those LinkedIn profiles that you come across that clearly displays a lot of energy and curiosity. And I would say that uh, Harvey's backdrop there is uh, is definitely one of those. He started his career as a dental assistant in the army, which allowed him to uh, get to the point where he could jump into his, his college education career, which he attended uh, Texas A&M, where he graduated with a uh, BA and uh, BS in biomedical science and, po and political science. And then he attended the emergency medicine residency in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which kicked off a nearly a couple decades of serving as an ER physician. And during that time, a consultant for a number of different uh, healthcare companies where, and he eventually founded uh, Trusted ER in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he has always carried a strong passion for helping others. And that's demonstrated and clear in, in just how he has really looked at the intersection of technology and healthcare and how those two elements need to come together to uh, improve the quality of care for, um, for all of us. And he has uh, most recently really uh, jumped into the AI realm and the the critical nature of chat gpt and its role in healthcare and he was one of the first people to jump in as an author on the topic and has uh, spent a lot of time exploring what implications chat gpt has in this realm and so um I'll, and it's just worth mentioning in the in the few moments i think when he's not working he uh he is reading about business. In fact, in fact, he just, uh, if I'm seeing it right, just uh, finished an MBA not too long ago, right? In the context of uh, his continuous learning at, at uh, UT Knoxville, which is a school that's got a, is close to me. That's where my daughter graduated. So uh, we've got that in common. 
but he is, uh, he is all about learning, loves spending time with his family, especially with his six kids and a new French bulldog. <laughs> so there's a lot going on in, uh, in Harvey's life. Harvey, welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix. I'm excited to be here. Uh, thanks so much for having me, and uh, thank you for a great intro. <laughs> well, there, like I said, there's a lot, a lot there. Talk to me a little bit about your early career. So you're you're an e, you're an ER physician, um, and watching how everything is is moving and and uh, in that space. What got you initially interested in innovation and in looking at how things needed to be different? Because that's certainly been a part of your move in your career is looking at transformation and how things needed to, to be different. Yeah, awesome question. You know, honestly, it's always come from and it sounds cliche-ish from a business point because now I know the terms are different. But back then, I just saw it as a problem. Business people will call it a pain point, but I saw it as a, pro a personal problem where I thought, you know what, I don't like this and I want to fix it. And I thought if I could fix it, I could help the masses. And I thought, okay, well, this one man mission is only going to take me so far. But what if I use technology? What if I become somehow amplified through technology and I can help others? A quick example, uh, I was in the emergency room back when the iPhone 1 came out coding a patient. And I told the nurse, hey, we need to start this medication. And it was an IV drip. And she got out this textbook, thumbed through it. By the time she got to the dose, I was freaking out because I'm like, man, we, we need to get going here. And I could see how the, the right limiting step was that textbook that she had to get it out and thumb through it. So I thought, you know what? Problem point. Let me fix this. Let me see what I can do. So I was playing with the iPhone and I thought, what if I make an app? Make it where I can, you tap it three times and boom, you have exactly what you need. And that's what I did. And that app, app actually hit the top 10 in the world. But it was that simple use that I need to help people. Uh, and the, the, for me, it wasn't about money. It was more about how can I help people? Absolutely. So what were some of the things like in the context of your, your time as an ER went, a physician? As I hear you say, there were things that you didn't like or things that weren't working. What were some of those things that you were experiencing? What, was, uh, what were some of the challenges? Well... The challenge always, uh, obviously, there's laws and regulations and, and the culture. And so what some of the barriers when, you know, rules and regulation, everybody's aware of HIPAA here in the United States or privacy laws, and those are always going to have to be foremost addressed and, and make sure we take care of. But on the culture side, it was quite interesting because when I would start writing for iPhone apps and stuff like that, patients were like, why are you texting? Why are you on your phone? And I'm like, no, I'm actually using this as a reference guide. And just breaking the culture, making a difference. Another was regulation. I would submit apps to the app store um, and they would get rejected and say, no, no, this might need FDA approval. But I look now, you know, I don't know how many years out we're out, like we're at what, iPhone 15 something, 16, I don't know. I don't keep up anymore. But the point is years later, that same apps that I was trying to submit now would be approved because the culture has changed because the, the regulation now has looked differently. Yeah, absolutely. We saw that happen, didn't we, in the context of the pandemic, where the, there was just so many walls up regarding technology and what we were able to uh, see happen. And, and all of a sudden, necessity pushed approvals to a record new speed and, and level. And we all of a sudden, a lot of doors opened 
for different ways of doing things. And, and that's been, that's definitely been an encouragement, I think, in the context of uh, facilitating innovation in this, in this realm. What have, in, in your experience, what kind of success metrics impact how you look at um, how innovation happens? You know, what, what types of things need to be, uh, need to come across in the clinical environment for adoption to take place? You know, for me, it's two points. One, and it's a cash 22. One, something so simple. Is it going to help the patient or the doctor's workflow flow? Because sometimes it seems like a good idea uh, from a non-clinical point of view. You're like, oh yeah, this would help the doctor or nurse or the patient. But in reality, you're making it harder. You're making it worse. A quick example. Uh, unfortunately, I'm old enough to know that I started on the days that we just would do paper charting and now everything is electronic. Well, those first electronic medical records were horrible to play with and horrible to document. And um, it seemed like a good idea, but the, the flow of it, the workflow was horrible. Um, and, and so that's one of the things we look at is, is this going to actually help our patients and our providers or is this going to add on more work to them? Uh, ideally, the less work um, they have to do in administration, for example, then ideally that would be more time with the patient. The other is obviously cost. From a cost point of view, you know, this is the interesting dilemma now that we're hearing with AI. Is this AI creating a big bubble where the valuation of these things gets so high that the price will go up so high for hospital administrations to administer and be able to implement to the point where it's supposed to lower costs, but in reality, now we're adding. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, technology companies themselves ironically don't, uh, they want to leverage technology to the point where they're not spending much, but at the same time, um, in a way, they don't want to overvaluate to the point where they're getting so many investors that they have to now start charging way more just to be able to be in that healthcare play. So Harvey, I know that um, if, I, if I were tracing back, and I've, I've certainly been aware of the movement in AI and how it has, uh, you know, how it's begun to take hold over the last 10 years. But obviously, you know, starting about 18 months ago, lots of big movement taking place as, uh, as the large language models have become increasingly ubiquitous and, and available for uh, broad stream use. What were some of your... Um, you know, what, what got you interested there and tuned into that frequency? Because you were clearly one of the people that was looking at this and, the implica and studying the implications for healthcare. Um, what were some of the telltales? What were some of the signs? What were some of the things you were watching that said this is going to become a super critical element for healthcare and, uh, and how we apply it? Yeah, no, great question. Honestly, it's kind of crazy. I, I literally was playing with ChatGPT in November of last year. And I think what caught my eye was just the ease of use. I was like, wow. Uh, my mom, obviously, she's uh, older in age. And I thought, I bet my mom could get a lot of use out of this. And then the brain doctor in me thought, man, you know, if you, you train a certain way, your brain starts thinking a certain way. So my brain, I feel like it's always fixated on healthcare. And I started asking it questions and look at the respondent's response. And I thought, holy cow, this thing can be used in so many different parts of healthcare. 
And back then I said, you know what, let me just go ahead and write a book. And, and from 10,000 feet high, just educate our doctors and, and healthcare providers slash patients on how to use this tool because it's got some good in it, but then it also has some bad and some things that patients and people need to be aware of. Um, so I just thought, again, the possibilities, how it could be integrated. And then in my mind, I, I, I see this future where everything's going to integrate, meaning, you know, your iWatch, your wearables, your GPT, uh, future robots, it's all going to be integrated into one and, and it's going to create so many more services that people don't realize. And so um, as you think about how ChatGPT will integrate in the context of the healthcare uh, healthcare provider stream, what are what are some of the obvious applications? What are the things that you're anticipating in the next couple of years will become increasingly ubiquitous? So I, I want to preface by saying, you know, as people know, with large language models, some of the issues is obviously hallucinations and uh, the famous phrase "garbage in, garbage out." I think those two statements need to be cleaned up. So obviously future generations will have less hallucinations, uh, but future generations of these large language models will have less garbage in, meaning they'll have less garbage out. And so to illustrate the point, the future will have the following. There'll be large language models that are more specific to healthcare. It may end up being ChatGPT 7 or 8. You know, It may be one of those where they've actually added those databases. But for now, I see, uh, I'm not, I don't have stock in any of these, but like I see like um, MedPalm 2 or uh, BioGPT, these ones, these large language models that are trained in that way. And the reason I like talking about that is because today, what can we do with what, what's in front of us like ChatGPT? Well, for one, uh, on both sides of the equations, on the, I'll speak to, so on the doctor side is the e easy one because at the end of the day, um, doctors are responsible for the te technology they use, meaning you know, they can't blame ChatGPT later saying, oh, this patient outcome was bad because ChatGPT told me the wrong thing or hallucinated. Whereas patients, they can get hurt and they don't have that background. So on the doctor side, there's two, two things or three things I can see right away. Um, on the discharge instructions or education of a patient, think about this, using the power of GPT and say, I used to work at an airport. And so there were some languages that we didn't have for discharge instructions. So how nice would it be to take the bones of like diabetes or hypertension and put it into GPT and say, hey, talk, uh, translate this for me. But everybody's like, oh, that's some simple, another product can do that. But, but what if I told you that based on your culture, based on your age, based on how many years of disease you've had, I can actually customize those discharge instructions and say, no, this is a diabetic patient that's had this disease for 20 years. Um, he, the, he or she hates fruit. Um, and they hate X and Y, help me make the discharge instructions that <clears throat> highlight what food they'd like to eat that actually complement what they're doing. Now I can really customize those discharge instructions. And those are quick examples on the doctor side. Other thing, obviously, we haven't touched on, but medical education doubles right now. It's every 30 days. Back in the 1950s, to give you a reference point, it used to be 50 years to double the amount of medical knowledge that I needed to know. So I guess in theory, from the year 1950, to the year 2000, it would be 50 years that, you know, I would just double my knowledge in my, my profession. Now my doubling my knowledge is every 30 days. So my point is to be able to use GPT equivalent, like a auto GPT, uh, pair it with the doctors use this thing called up to date, pair those two together where now it's giving me exactly the information. 
I mean, that my mind just blows up. Um, the last thing I want to say is real quick what things uh, patients can do today. I know doctors hate when I say this. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this one, but doctor, patients are going to use Dr. Google is what they call it. Well, I see it happening with ChatGPT, and I'm, I'm, taking, I'm actually encouraging patients to take it to the next level. So if you know, let's stick to the same example, diabetes, hypertension, why not ask ChatGPT, what questions should I ask my doctor? Really explore that out so that when you come to the office, you literally are armed and ready to go. But then take it to the next level. <laughs> Again, doctors will hate me for saying this, including I'm a doctor for those that just tuned in. What if you brought your laptop or your, um, something in front of you that as the doctor was talking to you, you could plug it in because let's face it, doctors speak doctor language and they do their best to break it down to patients. But sometimes some doctors have a really tough time and some patients are too embarrassed to say, you know what, doc, I have no idea what you just said, repeat. Because the common answer that I ask patients when they don't understand me and I can tell, they're like, oh no, I got it, doc. Well, why not use the power of GPT to help you translate in the sense that it can talk to like a five-year-old or talk to a certain ethnic or certain language, be able to really speak to them. And I think that's what that you could do today. Understood. What are as you're looking at some of this, and and you know you're talking a little bit about <clears throat> the conflict, what what doctors would want, or what how how you know AI ends up finding its way here. As you consider the challenges that are faced by healthcare systems, and you know I I know I've been in some conversations recently with some leaders in in healthcare systems and they're talking about their uh the formation their preliminary efforts in forming a pol some policies around the use of ai and how that's going to uh, influence their care and how they are approaching um how they're approaching that what are some of the biggest challenges you see facing today by healthcare systems in relation to ai and adoption you know, the hardest i think is just education you know, you put two doctors or, or a group of doctors in a room and you literally have the bell curve. You have some early adopters, regular adopters, and then some that are fighting it. I'm not, I am going to overgeneralize when I say, depending on what generation and who they are, will often determine if they will adopt this type of technology. What I've noticed, my older docs that don't want to type, uh, that want to use a scribe, they're more vocal and telling me, look, if AI really plays into the healthcare system like this, then I'm out. I'm, I'm out. Whereas I'm having residents that just graduated saying, you know what? I love AI. I think it's going to be a tool. So my point is this. I think it's going to be educating our healthcare force in the, for them to understand how this works and what they can and cannot do. I think, unfortunately, there's two flavors out there in the sense that <clears throat> we have ChatGPT 3.5, which is free, and everybody has played with. And I, I'm worried that some of the administrators, some of the early adopters jumped in, played with it and say, oh, it's hallucinating. No, I'm not going to use this. But I really think had they used ChatGPT 4 and then going into a little bit deeper, uh, better prompt engineering or better questions, they would get a better output. And I think that would change uh, the use of this. So my point is this. I think it all boils down to education. If we can educate <clears throat> our healthcare systems, obviously the uh, right off right off the cuff, we're hearing all these horrible news that you know everybody heard about the Samson issue where they some of the employees put in some uh, important information where they shouldn't have into ChatGPT where it violated um, privacy and 
uh, technology laws and, and then ChatGPT got it. Obviously, administrators are nervous saying, man, there's some HIPAA violations here. And if one doctor, nurse or someone does it, we're screwed here and they could close our hospital. And so I get it why they've, some of them take blanket statements saying, no, we're uh, blocking that IP address and no one can use it. So looking at the side of the technology companies that are bringing AI empowered solutions to healthcare systems, what are some things that they just need to be aware of? What are, as you, in your experience, kind of on both sides of that equation, what are some things that, that healthcare health tech companies bringing AI-powered solutions need to know, need to consider, need to position to help, to help adoption with healthcare companies? Yeah, I think it's twofold. One is just that ease of use has to be focused. A real examples have to be shown to providers. Think of it this way. Um, I always think of some of my doctor friends that have no idea how ChatGPT works. I would encourage the big organizations to have some case uses and keep it under a minute. Quick video saying, hey, here's a problem. Here's how this doctor used it. And, and here's the output so that they can it, take a look at it. And then I would, tell, I would tell healthcare companies that are trying to do this, um, make sure that you always give an example for the vertical that you're addressing. So if you're addressing an ER doctor, talk to them in that way. If you're addressing a hospital administrator, give examples. Because believe it or not, you and I are into technology. We get it. And with a few words, we got it. But people that are not, they really need to understand in their vertical, in their real use. And then they see it and they're like, oh, okay, I get it. And I'm going to tell company, big companies to please make sure that you keep that in mind. The other, obviously, is cost. We talked about it earlier. You, know, you got to do your best to keep these things low. A good example I, I'd love is how Amazon and uh, Microsoft are basically using this voice to transcription uh, so that basically we can have a conversation and I don't have to look away or type and it's transcribing. That alone, as that continues to expand and grow, I already know doctors and hospital systems that are saying, sorry, scribes, we're not going to hire you. We have this transcription now that it's able to translate or convert all your words. And, and that's becoming really cheap to the point where I talked to one of my colleagues and she was telling me that for her practice, it would be about $100 per doctor for the month. And I was like, you know, that's pretty good <laughs> because if you had a scribe do that same work throughout the month, you'd pay way more than 100 bucks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are, um, as you're seeing some of this stuff evolve and come forward out in the market, what are some of the more exciting applications that you're seeing in healthcare? Uh, what, are, what are some of the horizon applications and, and usage you're seeing for ChatGPT in, in, uh, and how it's manifesting? Yeah, that's a tough one because the ones honestly that are getting me more excited are the ones that are what we call structured data, uh, things that are in AI that are for like dermatology, radiology, pathology, the things that have already advanced uh, that has been accepted already in medicine. Um, uh, just a quick example on those. I have a friend that works at another hospital. He's an ER doctor and he has this uh, tool that is basically AI. So anyone that comes in with, with stroke-like symptoms, <clears throat> the AI is able to look at that CAT scan in real time, say, yep, this is having a stroke, text the doctor, text the radiology to put that um, CAT scan to be read right away. But my point is this, that AI is reading it. Yes, a human being is going to verify it, but that it's helping us see patients. So I love that. As far as the generative AI, um, it's still new. I know that Microsoft 
is coming out with some products that I've seen with Epic and we've we've read about it in the news. I'm waiting to see it. I know the Mayo Clinic um, is using GPT and, and they're using it with um, MedPalm 2, but it's the same t- type of technology. Uh, I'm really excited about what New, uh, New York, I forget the name of the hospital, but it's out of New York. I think it's called NYTRON. But basically, it's this really cool large language base uh, model that is being used from all the data that's being input from their years and years of information for that hospital system. And what they're doing is they can identify. So before I discharge a patient, I can it'll tell me a rate saying, okay, this is the probability that they will come back or this is the probability of their healthcare outcome. So these are the things that I see happening um, as far as seeing specific GPTs. I've talked to different uh, companies that they're trying to use it. Um, for their discharge instructions for other stuff, but I'm, I'm I haven't seen anything uh, full out there. The, the only one that I really have played with that that was out that was free was um, Doximity came out probably back in February or January uh, with Doc uh, GPT, and basically all all it is is to help patients uh, help doctors send those preauthorized uh, letters to insurances, and then they use their best to create different. Um, aspects for doctors, do- administration stuff that goes in there to you put it in and it kind of outputs that that information for you. So um, we'll see. Uh, I keep reading and, and I'm excited to see where we'll be. But the, this thing is moving so fast that I personally think once um, Epic comes out with their product using GPT, and now that obviously we have all these APIs are available, I really think that in the next three to six months, we're going to start seeing a flood of, of, the, of real big uh, healthcare specific applications using GPT. I know that um, just a little while ago, uh, back I guess it was mid-May, there was a big announcement um, surrounding Hippocratic AI and their, uh, their LLM. What have you uh, learned and seen around that? Uh, just curious if you've got any uh, frames yeah, no. of reference or point of view there. So just so people understand uh, why that's such a big deal, Number one, we need large language models that are having human reinforcement from doctors, not just humans. Um, just a quick reference point, ChatGPT was, uh, had people in Africa to verify the information and was able to say, yes, this is correct and not, and made the model much better. Well, what if you created a model that was strictly databases from healthcare, but then you had doctors in the right vertical reinforce it? An example, I'm an ER doctor. If you put some ER information in front of me, I can look at it. And if it's from chat, from a GPT equivalent like Hippocratic AI, then it could become a better model. And so I've reached out to the company, several of their C-suite to see if I can talk to them to get more information. I haven't been successful, but from big picture, what I do see happening is all the stuff we just talked about, how to use AI, uh, use it in the healthcare system. From what I see, again, from 10,000 feet high, I see them doing the right things. They're using reinforced learning from doctors. They're well-funded. Um, these large language models don't have to be so big for, depending on what they're doing. An example, ChatGPT, obviously, is a huge large language model. But if Hippocratic AI, let's say, wanted to address just the emergency room, just triage, then that large language model doesn't have to be as big as if they wanted to address all of the hospital. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that um, what's what's clear to me <laughs> is that there is a whole lot of of movement in and around this space. Some of which uh, that is a broad 
as a wide variety of depth of knowledge and understanding. And I think in the next, and uh, what I see happening in the next six months is a whole lot of uh, filtering going on and ensuring that what is what is moving forward is doing is moving forward with good integrity and and uh, understanding because we can't we can't afford in this realm obviously to employ models employ technology that puts anybody at risk in any form and uh, the understanding of risk the understanding of what a good model with good integrity looks like and what the appropriate applications are um, is going to need to come to the forefront and we're going to need smart experts to come forward and help establish some of those policies and standards so that uh, that we're protecting our populations well sure. and accordingly. Um, do you have any advice for health tech companies for developing solutions for healthcare systems specifically? I mean, the stuff that we've been talking around, but, you know, looking at the whole... Oh, yeah. Um, compliance and security, uh, what, what the AI solutions need to consider as they partner with healthcare systems in particular in, in that realm? Obviously, I, I'm, I'm a little biased. I, I personally think, all respect to all the technology companies out there, but I really think we need to have healthcare um, individuals, doctors, nurses, people in the forefront inside of these new companies and working side by side with them um, I could tell you firsthand when I did IV meds, the reason it went so viral and did well is because as a doctor, I looked at the pain points, I could address it. I, I knew from the trenches what needed to be done. And if that interface didn't look right, um, it wouldn't do as well. And so I would highly encourage um, everyone out there that's creating solutions for healthcare to make sure that they have um, the right um, healthcare provider inside your company helping you look at it and then. Uh, having quick feedback because the last thing you want to do is create a, um, a, let's say, a solution for some problem, but then not have that input from a healthcare provider. Um, and then again, I would I'll tell you also to um, not to rank up your uh, legal fees, but to make sure you have some legal guidance um, because depending on the tool that you try to do or the solution, it may fall into FDA regulation. And so there's some things that if it starts changing the way a decision process of the doctor would take, then at that point, more than likely, it's going to be, I have to go through FDA approval. Not that you can't do it. You can. It's just going to take a little more time. And then that brings another ball of wax, which is the whole explainability in the black box. Like now you have to really um, be able to explain this to FDA and be able to have reproducible results. So that way your, your solution really hits the market. And how about in the security realm? Is that a place that you've spent much time in understanding, you know, the whole privacy security realm and how that's overlapping here? Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I would highly encourage uh, individual. I know everyone out there is already doing this, but I would encourage to make sure you're looking at the 18 identifiers by HIPAA and so that you're looking at it so that you're under understanding what those things are, because there might be some in there of those 18 that you're like, wow didn't realize that. Like I, I learned something myself. I didn't realize that HIPAA protects patients even after up to about 50 years after they pass away. So even if that data that you're trying to use, you're like, oh, this person passed away 10 years ago. No, it's actually still secured by HIPAA. 
Um, so my point is, I would make sure you do your due diligence, make sure you're you're verifying with attorneys, but then also working with with the with the healthcare system or a doctor that's telling you, okay, this or that, or a team as well. Um, so I hope that answered the question. I wasn't sure if there was another part in there that I may have missed. Well, it's a big question, right? I mean, yeah. there's there's a whole lot of considerations and how how we deploy those models and how it and how. Uh, people are interacting around and with them. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. And, I remember that. The security portion. Sorry. So, yeah. So, on the security side, what I have seen, two solutions. One is making sure that that data is scrubbed so that ChatGPT or that engine is never seeing that data. Um, the other that I've seen that has been quite popular is making sure that that data stays in that institute and that it's using more information that uh, it's being trained, it's looking at, but it never goes to the cloud equivalent. It stays within the intranet. That way, that information is secure and it's always in their servers. Um, I have a feeling that moving forward, like I gave an example of New York, I think that's what we're seeing. I think more companies are, will feel better if their large language model sits uh, or the brain sits inside their servers, not outside of their servers Yeah, for the whole HIPAA security thing. How about in the context of uh, clinical relevance and how it ends up manifesting in workflows? What do tech companies need to know about how? Um, I mean, in your <clears throat> in your case with Vitel, I mean, your the unique clinical practices and how your how can tech optimize their solutions to integrate smoothly with existing workflows? Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's weird. It's a double edged sword. Again. One of them obviously is cost. The other is, is it adding more work to the doctors at last? Let me give you a quick example. I think the, my example earlier of saying this text or voice to text feature is going to be the future. I almost think eventually will be the standard of care. So for example, if I'm seeing you, the workflow makes sense that if I could just transcribe everything and it's going into my electronic medical record, then there's no cost to me. And if anything, it's going to decrease my cost because now I can see you quicker in a sense, be more efficient with you and be able to give you better information through GPT discharge instructions. My point is this, if I created another workflow that didn't have that, it's going to be really difficult to sell it to me or, or the healthcare system or if it's going to start charging me more for it. So my point is, uh, depending on your solution, depending what you're doing, really consider that feature as part of your system because in the future, if you don't have that, then it may negate you just because you're adding more work to the system. So if you're saying, oh, we need to use the keyboard to input, no, you really start needing to use the, the, the voice and the camera. Um, another example real quick is... Um, Obviously, it's the culture. Some patients may hate the idea that someone's listening and that it's transcribing. So the adoption of that may change. But let's assume that it's occurring. The next phase that I foresee coming soon is that camera we're using. Right now, um, obviously, it could tell my blood pressure. It could tell my age. It could tell my hemoglobin A1C, which is the, my sugar average for the last three months, which is crazy. But my point is this. Why not integrate that camera into my workflow? If I have to document saying, okay, normal eye exam, normal ear exam, normal heart exam, what if the camera is being able to visualize everything that I'm doing? Say, oh yeah, he did an eye exam, he did this, and then me verbally say, yeah, everything I did was normal. And then if I find something abnormal, be able to speak it out to the camera, and then the camera knows, oh yeah, he, he was doing an ear exam, he notices there's an ear infection on the right ear, blah, 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 then it would document it. We haven't gotten there, but I see that coming. Absolutely. There's... <laughs> 
there's a lot on the on the way right now. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. It's, uh, I've never seen. I, I've never encountered the pulse of innovation that we're seeing right now being talked about. It is uh, it is pretty extraordinary. What? How are you hearing the conversations around the ethical considerations around what we're talking about? That's a big topic. Um, there's a lot of of concern, a lot of, uh, and and it it filters through nearly everything we talked about so far. I mean, it, it has privacy implications, it has uh, standard of care implications. But as you consider um, the ethics around this, what do tech companies to be need to be aware of, and and how they are communicating, how they are deploying their technology? Uh, what are you aware of in that realm? Yeah, uh, the biggest thing I keep hearing from different doctors and healthcare system is the biases that are inside the database. Um, for example, if the database has been trained for a certain population in the United States and that reinforced learning has reinforced that knowledge, and then I'm going out using it in healthcare, then then if I'm applying that to all populations, then I'm creating a bias or I'm reinforcing a bias towards a certain population and not realize that this has it. I do see in the future, this sounds weird, but I do see a sense where just like you buy a can of uh, beans and you're looking at the nutritional content, I feel like that's what's going to come with healthcare systems, uh, LLMs, where you look at it and you're like, okay, this has been trained on XYZ, this is this, these are the bias, this is, and you kind of have an idea of what you're dealing with. I think that is why um, healthcare companies are really excited about having their own LLMs inside their walls using foundational knowledge training where it's using the data within their health institution, within their population specific to that zip code per se. And then it's able to use that knowledge and put it out to the local population. But then simultaneously, if this hospital system has them throughout the United States, they're actually all independently training uh, the larger system within the system and be able to give that information. So that will help towards that bias issue. Um, the other one that I'm personally worried about is um, we f- we focus a lot on doctors, but I'm I'm actually more worried about the patients out there that are using it as ChatGPT. I'm sorry, as Doctor Google. And again, I've, I'm a big advocate, but my worry is the doc- the patients that are using this technology not realizing these biases, not realizing the hallucinations, and then God forbid hurting themselves. Uh, I know it's easier. Uh, example is the following: if you're in uh, say. Mexico, where you can go to any pharmacy and pick up any drug, what if you self-diagnose yourself and say, oh, ChatGPT told me I have cancer or I need XYZ drug, and you start buying it and you start taking it. And then first, you have the emotional trauma that you think you have a disease. Second, you have the wrong disease. And third, you take this pill that may end up harming you, ultimately maybe killing you. So as a doctor, I'm not worried for them as much because they're more aware of these things and hallucinations, but on the patient side, I'm more worried that they're what I call their healthcare IQ is not to that point. So I'm worried about this from an ethical point of view. The other thing I always talk about in ethics, I'll just jump in. Last thing would be, I'm worried, and I'm glad to see this uh, other companies doing GPT equivalent. But I'm also worried that what if I can prove to you that this technology is going to help you live better, live longer, and then let's just say five years from now, I say, you know what, this is costing me too much as a company and I'm going to start charging you 500 bucks a month. And if you don't pay, then sorry, you're not going to live as long. Uh, From an ethical point of view, I'm worried that that scenario may play out if these other companies like Google and 
Claude and all these other AI companies that are coming out with their products aren't competing. Yeah, there there certainly is going to be a, a number of uh, manifestations that we're going to see. And I think that, you know, your point, I, I've thought on multiple occasions what this is going to mean for people with, uh, you know, who are a little bit of hypochondriac tendencies and and how they are going to jump in and, and begin that dialogue, you know, at WebMD. Uh, and and Dr. Google had enough of that going on. And then when you add a more interactive, personalized uh, element to it, it it's probably going to foster some of that increasingly, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to, we'll see a lot. I, I do think, I, I like your observation. I think the op, using it as a springboard to discussions with your physician, I think is a great application if uh if you were balancing that source of input with uh with trained and uh you know smart input on the other side that that can see you that can uh, understand the application directly but there is definitely a lot any uh a lot of a lot of considerations in all of this and is there any insight as as you're thinking about uh what healthcare professionals like yourself are looking for in health tech products uh, as we are in the intersection of AI-powered solutions, anything that we haven't talked about here that you, you see as front-page news or things that would be critical for health tech companies to consider as they're as they're moving forward. You know, I I, I personally think it's taking my doctor hat off uh, or administrator hat off. I I really think the big push is going to see, that we haven't talked about is taking the hospital outside of the hospital and putting it into your home. Those are the type of technologies that are going to be big. Um, with virtual care, the more I can do with my patient that the patient doesn't have to leave the house, the more that patient can get better health care and not waiting in the waiting room for hours to see me. Um, give you a quick couple examples. Uh, one that I fell in love with is this AI company that basically uh, allows any patient to do ultrasound and they're working on this. I saw the prototype, it's pretty cool, but basically they can ultrasound themselves. The AI says, oh yeah, turn right, turn left, go deeper, hold, and then it's taking pictures. And then those pictures go to radiologists and say, oh yeah, this is that. And, and the concept is taking that service that traditionally would be at the hospital or some radiology department out there. Now you're able to either take it home or maybe it'd be at CVS where you go into a room and then you scan yourself and boom, there's the images taking the hospital now outside to your home. Another one real quick is Whiting's. Whiting's has this cool pro, um, thing that I can actually, it sounds gross what I'm about to say, but it's actually pretty cool. Uh, it You can pee, poop on it, and then it's got sensors, and then it sends that information back to the cloud, and then it's giving the information back to you and saying, okay, these are the different nutrients, these are the different things, this is what's going on. I extrapolate that data and you put it onto your iPhone or other verticals, like again, at the beginning of this talk, we talked about merging it all together. Now, as a doctor, I can really not only say, okay, go get your blood work, but now I can start analyzing um, that information that we just talked about, which would be huge because now I can really personalize my information back to you. So the other thing we haven't talked about, we could spend hours just on this one question, <laughs> but the other thing is genomics. Genomics is so much information and doctors don't really understand genomics. Why not in the future with these large language models that can comprehend so much data, why not be able to use that data, put my personal genomics and give me information to say, you know what, based on your genomics, 
uh, diabetic medication A is better than B for you, not for your spouse because you're a different you know, race or different genetics. So I think that is the future. And, and if uh, companies out there are able to tap into these um, verticals and looking at the future, uh, they'll be quite successful. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's become very clear to me as I've looked at this area and begun to consider implications is you really have to spend, I mean, it's very common for health tech companies to get very narrowly focused in their solution set and and looking at how that is going to uh, going to move things forward in in a very narrow frame. The thing that's happening right now from my vantage point, Harry and I'm, uh, Harvey, and I'm going to be interested to get your, your perspective here. Um, I think the, that what is on the horizon from a, a meta, and I'm not talking about Facebook, um, on the meta perspective is such a large transformation. And I think it's going to happen extremely quickly because what's, what the doors that are opening now are unprecedented and pretty remarkable. And I think that that the level of change and the scope of change is gonna be unlike anything we've seen before. And if you're and if you're narrowly focused in a tight niche and not being aware of the broader conversations that are going on and the broader implications that are likely going to transpire, you're gonna spend a lot of time, effort, and energy. And I think that this is a lot of why we're seeing the investment community. I mean, there's a lot of reasons the investment community is pulling back right now and, and being hesitant, but this is certainly in the, in the context is there's a lot of hesitation right now about, okay, this is coming. There's a lot of movement that's getting ready to happen. What horse do we bet on? What technology do we rest in or, or put our resources toward? because there's a lot of change getting ready to happen. And, and so if you were to kind of take it from, you know, and you've used the word, the 10,000 foot view, you know, a number of times here, looking at the, the macro climate and what is getting ready to, the, the type of change that's getting ready to happen, what advice do you have for uh, companies who are bringing forward, and I'm not, and, <laughs> I'll say point solutions or more narrowly focused solutions. What advice do you have for them and how they need to to look at things in context right now? Um, how would you advise them to and, and what would you advise them to be aware of to make sure that what they're where they're investing and where they're putting their energies forward are going to be in the uh, in the need to have category as opposed to, you know, obsolete next year uh, when some of these big moves begin to take hold? Love that question. And that was tough. So good job. <laughs> um, honestly, I, I see their point about being very specific in the business world. You want to make sure you, you carve out that right exact point and, and you carve it out so well that you kind of dig in there and, and you have it and you kind of own that space. The problem is it makes sometimes it makes it harder to pivot. And I would encourage people to make sure they know and how they can pivot. And it goes back to my earlier point that I think having a healthcare professional is important. Let me give you an example. I consulted for a company 
And when I was looking at their solutions, I was shocked that they weren't looking at, they were so focused on uh, doing one part of their AI program that they missed the boat on all these other verticals. And so I literally sat down with the CEO and explained all the ways they could make money with the different verticals. Still the same idea. And they told, I told them, still go with what you want to do, but really consider the following other verticals. And ironically, uh, now they have legal in, involved. Now they're actually looking at creating those other verticals because they didn't see it. They, they, in their mind, they were so focused on this one task, one poor part of healthcare that it really didn't come to them. So I would say, make sure you have, I'm not trying to get you to call me. I'm just saying, use a doctor or healthcare provider. Obviously, I'd be happy to help, obviously. But I'm just saying, my point of saying it is, um, in your mind, you're going down a certain path and you think it's the right path, but I would involve other voices because I think quickly, you'll, to your point, you'll start realizing, whoa, this is too uh, too specific. Case in point, nobody knew ChatGPT would be this strong. Had we known this two years ago, the stuff that was developed back then may be totally different today. Fast forward, nobody knows really what's happening in the next year or two. I mean, I, I, today or this weekend, I was blogging about how robots will be here at the end of the year and for sure next year by other companies. What if you use a robots plus GPT equivalent and you put it in their vision? Now you have another whole vertical to think of. And so, I mean, we got to stay ahead of this or else, uh, unfortunately, you'll be working so hard that that'll be my other tip. Make sure that whatever you do, open AI or AI equivalent can't add it to their uh, suite of examples. For example, uh, Word uh, is owned by Microsoft. They are looking at all these verticals. But if you notice that what are their adoptions inside of Word, there's all these things that small companies have done that Word is going to be adding or take it to the next level. Microsoft is going to add, add it to Windows o iOS. I'm sorry, Windows OS system where it'll have those functions. So pretty soon, for example, I used to use, I still use this thing called Tumi. It's a PowerPoint. It uses AI. I put in what I need my talk to be and it makes my presentation. That's going to be inside of PowerPoint here pretty soon. So I won't need that other service. And that, that vertical, that's all they do is that the one example. So to your point, God forbid they're doing something and then some other company just incorporates it as part of their daily business or Epic says, you know what, that's a great idea. We'll just incorporate it. Now you're out of business. Yeah, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of disruption, a lot of movement, a lot of consolidation, a lot of extinction uh, here in this next little bit. And having your eyes firmly on the horizon and having the broad context of innovation and of the need. I, you know, Harvey, I love how you have underscored the importance of involving clinical expertise alongside your development. That sounds like a no-brainer, but I've definitely seen a broad continuum of focus and willingness and and uh, it's it's the willingness to do it, it's the willingness to pay for it, it's the willingness to implement it. Um and and the willingness to understand the critical nature of it because I think a lot of what happens is you get these companies and they're developing tech and they have a perspective um, and the, the hesitation or the fear of involving a broader perspective that could inform your, your development path or could inform a pivot or could inform a number of things is really, it ends up being super critical. And the companies I'm most excited about working with are ones who, uh, in, in this context, 
who have deep clinical expertise riding right alongside of really smart technology. Um, that is, that's the ultimate combination. And, uh, and neglecting that just leaves you vulnerable because, uh, it, it really, the, we're talking about anytime we're talking about changing physicians behavior. Um, <laughs> you, you better understand the anatomy of that because it's not a, it, that is one of the hardest obstacles from market adoption that I hear over and over again is if you're asking a clinician to change a workflow, to change how they normally do things, the, the, and it, you better have, you better make it easier, demonstrably, clearly easier for them to do their job and it better be right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you can't, they, nobody, no clinician right now can afford to add any layer of complexity or difficulty. Everything that's brought forward at this moment has to simplify. AI has remarkable opportunity for doing that and it better be right. And so making sure that you've got great clinical input um, is, is mission critical in that, in that realm. So that, I, I love how you've underscored that. Yeah, go ahead, Harry. All I was going to add was uh, I have friends that literally will not work for certain healthcare systems, not because of the healthcare but system, but it's because of their EMR or because of their workflow. Because they tell me, hey, Harvey, if I work at Hospital X, they have this antiquated electronic medical record and it takes me forever to see a patient. If I work over at that other hospital, they have this newer one and I'd rather work there. So something as simple as having the right tool will determine where we want to work. And so uh, just to kind of reinforce what you just said, it's so important, so critical. The other is as an ER doctor, it made it easier for me to talk to other ER doctors. And when they would say, hey, we can't do that. I'm like, really? Like I was in the trenches with you. I, I know what you can and cannot do. And so it's easier to have a healthcare provider on the inside and really understand that workflow to be able to help you. Absolutely. Um, Harvey, tell us if people are interested, where, where's the best place to find you online if, yeah. uh, if folks are wanting to see what's going on? I'm on all the social media, major social media. Just type in Harvey Castro and then MD as in medical doctor. And I, I, I joke with people and say I live on LinkedIn. So feel free to uh, friend me there or, or message me there. And um, I'm happy to help out. The other part is um, I've written a bunch of books on healthcare um, and AI, and they're all on Amazon. So same thing, just type in Harvey Castro, MD. And then the other thing, just to kind of broaden the talk just a tiny bit, I've done a lot of talks on AI and crime and how we can use AI to solve cold cases and how we can do that. So use this as a tool for healthcare, but also always think outside the box. How can we create whatever you're creating? Maybe it could apply in another vertical that you hadn't thought of. So I challenge you with that one. Awesome. Well, Harvey Castro, thank you for joining us today in the context of the healthcare market matrix. We're grateful. And my encouragement to everybody in this realm is to, uh, to be a student. This is a great time to dive in, understand what's going on, understand what's possible, understand the implications. Uh, and, and if you're a health tech company, you cannot do enough learning right now about how things are being applied, how it's moving, what are the implications, and uh, that's, that could be that's several people's full-time job right now, just keeping up with the, uh, with the horizon line because it is moving so fast. Uh, so don't be, don't be shy and don't think you've got it figured out because it's different today than it was yesterday. 
and it will be different tomorrow than it is today. So stay tuned. Harvey, thank you for joining us here. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.